Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzner. We have a fabulous guest on tonight. This is the first time we've spoken uh, to each other, so... I get to hear her voice, but we've been uh, connecting uh, via email and Twitter for about all oh, the last year, year and a half. Uh, Miss Anne Margaret Daniel teaches at the New School in New York City and at Bard College in Annandale on Hudson. Her essays on literature, music, books, culture for the last 20 years have appeared in the New York Times, Hot Press, The Spectator. And in uh, many other places, she has a degrees in American history and English from Harvard, a Ph.D. from Princeton and a master's from Georgetown. She's really a smart woman. She is knows quite a bit about Shakespeare and uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, one of our favorite sons from St. Paul, Minnesota. In the spring of ni- uh, 2017, she was the first person to teach a course on the combined arts and letters of Bob Dylan. And she also presented a paper in 2019 in May at the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she's going to start off telling us about that. But first of all, Anne, thanks so much for taking time to speak with us today. Oh, Paul, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm delighted to be here, and thank you so much for asking me. Well, we are going to uh, get into Dylan's great new record, Rough and Rowdy Ways, in a bit. Uh, But before we do that, tell us about uh, this paper and your involvement at the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa, May 2019. Well, I was very fortunate uh, in that I was one of the first uh, archival scholars who was actually allowed to make a visit to Tulsa for research purposes. Um, once they get the Bob Dylan Center open in its new location, which appropriately enough is going to be downtown in Tulsa, right next to the Woody Guthrie Center on Reconciliation West. Perfect. Um, they they are still housed for the moment in the Helmrich Center for American Research. Uh, which is right next to the Gilchrist Museum, um, a little bit out of town. And uh, a handful of people have been allowed to go and look at the papers with legitimate research projects. And I was allowed to review the Blood on the Tracks notebooks. Hmm. For, I mean, for decades, uh, people had known about the existence of one notebook. It was called the Red Notebook in Dylan Circles. And it's one of those little, you know, those little spiral notebooks like you used to use when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. They're about about, uh, three inches by four and a half inches, and you can shove them, you can shove them in your hip pocket. Yeah, exactly. Dylan Dylan obviously did and then sat on them because all the spirals are bent (laughs) and (laughs) squeezed. But um, people had known about the red red notebook for a long time. Um, A guy named George Hatcher purchased it. And he sold it some years ago to the Morgan Library in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I had worked with the Red Notebook at the Morgan for several years. Um, I'd, I'd been reading the lyrics there. And, of course, that notebook was actually reproduced digitally as part of the deluxe box set of More Blood, More Tracks, the Dylan bootleg that came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But what nobody knew about, there were two other Blood on the Tracks notebooks that he used for drafting 
the songs that appeared on that album and a few songs that he was writing at the same time but that weren't released then. Um, songs like Up to Me that, that came out later uh, as part of other, other bootlegs. So I went to Tulsa specifically to look at the other two. One of them is, I, I nicknamed it Baby Blue, perhaps inevitably. <laughs> it's, it's, it, has, it has kind of a Robin's Egg Blue cover, and it's just a gold mine. Um, my paper was primarily about it. it. It has long drafts of all the songs, earlier drafts from the look of them, than the notebook at the Morgan, which is more like almost a fair copy mm -hmm. of the songs in almost finished form. Um, it has a song that is initially, for example, it has a song that is initially entitled Snowbound. And you start reading down it and you realize that it's Simple Twist of Fate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's, another, there's another song called Dusty Blues. And at another point it's called Blue Carnation Blues. And eventually it evolves into Tangled Up in Blue. Hmm. So it, it's fascinating. I mean, you, you really get to watch his work in progress. And as a scholar, that's what I've been doing for going on 30 years now. And primarily uh, working on your na your other native son, <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald. Right. Um, I've spent 25 years working in the Fitzgerald papers down at Princeton University. And I edited Fitzgerald's last unpublished complete short stories a couple of years ago for Scribner. They were published in 2017 as I'd Die for You and Other Lost Stories. So that, that was basically I submitted that as my part of my proposal to go and work in Tulsa. And I guess they figured I'd done a pretty good job with F. Scott, so they would let me move on to another Minnesota writer and bard. <laughs> and um, and they allowed me to go through those notebooks very carefully. The second notebook is, is more a series of drafts, and it contains, you know, sort of other notes, drawings, uh, literally laundry lists, things like that. But there are, there are snippets and fragments of the songs. I mean... The, the fascinating thing to me is just seeing that Dylan is thinking of lyrics literally all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's like working in James Joyce's papers. Mm -hmm. there's, there's an oft-repeated anecdote that James Joyce actually, when, he, when an idea struck him or when he heard a phrase in a restaurant that he wanted to use later, um, if he had no paper around, he would write his ideas on his starch shirt cuff. <laughs> this was a day of detachable cuffs. Right. And, uh, and then his wife, Nora, before she laundered them, would write down what his <laughs> ideas had been before she tossed them in the wash. Dylan composes the same way. There are literally fragments and splinters in the archive at Tulsa. He makes notes on everything from any note paper at hand in any hotel he's staying at to the back of a menu, to, you know, scraps of brown paper bags. And and I love seeing that because I've been experiencing the same thing in the Fitzgerald papers. These are people who are real writers and wordsmiths. Um, Fitzgerald would write on the back of drink coasters. He wrote on cocktail napkins. He wrote on anything to hand. And he used to and spend some time in the bars, so he's probably got a lot of writing done. <laughs> I'm afraid he did. Yes, I'm afraid he did. But it's, it's, it's also kind of nice to see that even when he was in those bars, 
he was still getting a work done. Writer. Yeah. Have you and and Margaret Daniel? Have you ever been to St. Paul? I have been to St. Paul. In fact, I first came to St. Paul, and I most recently came to St. Paul for the same reason. Um, it had to do with F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, I visited St. Paul when I was in college and then again in graduate school just because of its Fitzgerald connections. And I've got a dear, dear friend, longtime friend from Medina. Okay. And, uh, and so I was, I was up visiting him as well. But I, um, I last came to St. Paul for the Fitzgerald, the International um, F. Scott Fitzgerald Society meeting, the annual meeting, which was held there a couple of summers ago. And we we stayed in St. Paul for a week and had a ball. I bet. Uh, did you get a chance to go see his uh, the brownstone that he grew up in on Summit Avenue, and then maybe went and I, I hope he had a cocktail at the St. Paul Hotel. That was one of his watering holes. We we actually had our banquet at the St. Paul Hotel. Beautiful. <laughs> and uh, and it was and I did indeed go to Summit Avenue with a gentleman named James L. W. West the Third. Jim West is the dean of all Fitzgerald scholars, mm. um, a man, the model to all of us, and who is the general editor of the magisterial Cambridge edition of Fitzgerald. And he and I actually drove out there, and we took a good long walk around, and I have a photograph of him sitting on the steps, and he has one of me. <laughs> so it was, it was just lovely to be there and to, to really feel, you know, that little ash blonde haired boy with his roller skates and his hoop running down mm-hmm. Summit Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> well, in such a beautiful neighborhood, still a beautiful neighborhood. Uh, always was a lot of uh, a lot of St. Paul history happened along there, and of course, the Governor's Mansion is only five or six blocks west of there. Uh, we've got Anne, we've got Anne Margaret Daniel on for the whole show tonight. Uh, a wonderful writer and uh, uh, Dylan expert. So, Anne, what do you think uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's influence on Bob Dylan was? (laughs) Well, it is palpably clear because he writes about it in his semi-autobiographical Chronicles Volume 1. It's uh, Dylan, Dylan published the first volume, or at least it's titularly the first volume, of, of a memoir in 2004. And the last two pages of it, the last two or three pages of it, are basically an extended shout-out to great Midwestern writers, and particularly great Minnesota writers. Um, he does mention Fitzgerald. He mentions Sinclair Lewis. He, he obviously feels himself as part of that tradition. Um, I mean, that's where he chose to conclude his own autobiography, so you you have to take his word for it. Famously, he name-checks Fitzgerald in uh, Ballad of a Thin Man, Mm -hmm. through all of F. Scott Fitzgerald's books, he sings it in concert, You're Very Well Read, it's well known. And he has mentioned Fitzgerald at other times. If you take a look, you can find it online. There's a massive compilation called Every Mind-Polluting Word that takes its title, of course, from a Dylan song, and it contains all of his interviews um, from the very beginning of his fame through, I can't remember when Mind-Polluting concludes. It's sometime in the 1990s. But he mentions Fitzgerald a few times and, and obviously is familiar with 
The Great Gatsby. It's it's a book about. I mean, think about the theme of The Great Gatsby. Think about its overarching central character. It's a young man from a tiny town in the northern Midwest who one day on the shores of a lake decides to change his name and decides <laughs> to change his past and his heritage and go off and make his fortune somewhere else, doing something else. Um, there, there are a lot of connections, I think, between Jimmy Gatz and Bobby Zimmerman and Jay Gatsby and Bob Dylan, if you wanted to push them. But certainly it's a book that he knows well. And, uh, and I think he, you know, he certainly, he certainly seems to feel in interviews he's given and in the, the rare interviews and in, in written pieces that he himself has released, he certainly seems to have not only a great knowledge of Minnesota history and literature, but an appreciation for it and, again, feeling a kind of a responsibility that, he, that he's part of a tradition. So given that Fitzgerald is, is one of the most famous writers to come out of Minnesota today, um, and certainly Fitzgerald also is, at least critics regard him, and I think around the world, readers regard him as somehow particularly American. You know, the guy who wrote about the American dream and its failures and pitfalls and treacheries. And I think Dylan, as a an artist deeply concerned with American culture and American history, as he has spectacularly proved on this most recent album, um, I, I would... I would think he feels kind of a kinship with Fitzgerald, you know? Yeah. Well, we've got Anne Margaret Daniel on. Uh, just, uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. You are brilliant. I knew that uh, because I follow you on Twitter at uh, Venetian uh, Blonde, and, uh, and I've read, and I've read uh, quite a bit of your writing. And we mm-hmm. are getting to uh, rough and rowdy ways now. And speaking about... Uh, Great American writers, uh, no one greater than Walt Whitman, and we are going to play a little bit of uh, "I Contain Multitudes." So, before we get to this song, in about two minutes or less, and tell us about the song on uh, Bob Dylan's "Rough and Rowdy Ways." I contain multitudes. Well, I I have to say I love the way that Dylan kind of or Dylan's uh, official website <laughs> kind of slid this song out. Um, one afternoon, uh, after Murder Most Foul had been released, but one afternoon uh, later, suddenly there was the appearance on Twitter and on Instagram, the two social medias that Dylan.com seemed to use most often, of a hashtag that just said, I contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. And people immediately began falling out of their chairs. It's, of course, it's a, a famous, famous line from Walt Whitman, as you said. It's from Whitman's own autobiography, I suppose you could say. Yes, you could say, which is entitled uh, The Song of Myself. And I Contain Multitudes is over in the 50s. It's, uh, it's not one of the early sections of, uh, of Song of Myself, but it's a massively important one. I am large, I contain multitudes, Whitman proclaims in talking about, as usual with Whitman, his overarching, his sweeping and detailed Americanness, his sense of place, 
whether the place he's talking about is the Riverside in Brooklyn, where he was a newspaper editor for many years, whether it's Camden, New Jersey, where he lived in a beautiful, at that time, little country farmhouse out in the sticks, where people came to pay him court when he was an old man, people including Oscar Wilde, who made the trip to see Walt Whitman one of his mandated stops on his American tour in the 1880s. Um, so everybody's, everybody's appetites were up, and since, since Murder Most Foul had been released just after midnight on the night of March 26th, morning of March 27th, uh, a lot of people, including yours truly here, stayed up until midnight that night to see <laughs> if anything would come to pass. And Dylan did not disappoint. Um, I Contain Multitudes was released early in the morning. And it's, oh gosh, I, I love this song. It's a magnificent song. Let's listen it's to written, a little, let's li- listen to a, a little bit of it and Margaret Daniels and then uh, talk about it um, in the next segment on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. What more can I tell you? I sleep with life and death. Same bed. Today and tomorrow, and yesterday too, the flowers are dying like all things do. Follow me close, I'm going to Bali and Ali. I'll lose my mind if you don't come with me. I fuss with my hair. And I fight blood feuds I contain multitudes Got a telltale heart Like Mr. Poe Got skeletons in the walls of people you know I'll drink to the truth And the things we said I'll drink to the man that shares your bed I paint landscapes And I paint dudes I contain multitudes Red Cadillac And a black mustache Rings on my fingers That sparkle and fire Tell me what's next What shall we do Half my soul baby belongs to you Oh well I cannot frolic With all the young dudes I contain multitudes I'm just like Aunt Frank Like Indiana Jones Welcome back to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My most delightful guest on for the whole show tonight, Professor Anne Margaret Daniel. She knows a lot about a lot of things, uh, very well read and uh, very well credentialed. But tonight we are zoning in on Bob Dylan and his great new record, Rough and Rowdy Ways. At the end of the last segment, we heard a little bit of I Contain Multitudes. and tell us a little bit more about uh, this song that was, in a way, uh, inspired by uh, Walt Whitman. Well, it was inspired by Walt Whitman. Um, he also, as we heard, mentions Edgar Allan Poe. 
the great American, another great American romantic writer, along with Whitman, um, got a telltale heart like Mr. Poe, mm-hmm. got skeletons in the walls of people you know, which is kind of a mashup of two of Edgar Allan Poe's stories, the telltale heart, obviously, where a, a, a psychotic murderer buries an old man he has murdered underneath a floorboard and can hear the ticking of the telltale heart, which blows his cover in the end. Sorry, spoiler. And then the skeletons in the walls of people you know, there's another fantastic Poe story called The Black Cat. And uh, another of of Poe's stock and trade, a kind of an an off-balanced intellectual, very well-spoken, but uh, murders his wife and kills their cat as well, or at least blinds the cat and tortures it, and he walls up his wife in the wall. What he doesn't know is he has walled up the cat alive and well, and the cat is sitting on her head. When he's taking a group of suspicious people through the house, they... You know, they've noticed that the wife hasn't been around, and he says she's, you know, she's just left for a while. (laughs) He has the temerity to pound on the wall and say this house is very well constructed because he wants to get caught. And at that point, the cat begins to yowl, so they rip open the wall and find the wife's body in the wall. So look at at how Dylan has just done one couplet there. Got a telltale heart like Mr. Poe. Got skeletons in the walls of people you know. Look how he's taken these two stories and made a beautiful couplet, and look how well it scans. He's got a sense of rhyme, and he's got a sense of rhythm like no other singer-songwriter, you know, during my lifetime or during many lifetimes. I have Um, to ask you – oh, go ahead. Keep going. No, I was just going to say he's packed all that in to just two lines. Now, what, you know, over the years, uh, Dylan's been ac- uh, accused of plagiarism. And I was reading uh, somewhere, I, there's this guy, Scott Warmoth. You must have heard of him. He, he does a lot of deep dives into uh, Dylan's source material. And he and yeah, Grant- Scott, Scott is Scott does some absolutely wonderful work. He's really first off the mark with a lot of... Um, a lot of footnoting. <laughs> yeah, and and I remember uh, years ago when I stumbled on him, I think through the Expecting Rain uh, Dylan-related uh, website, he had grabbed two or three lines that uh, that Bob had lifted from Star Trek episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the way that I I was trained in in graduate school i'm i'm a victorian modernist (laughs) okay my my special my specialty is narrowly the time period 1850 to 1950 Mm -hmm. and literally every one of the poets writing during that time is borrowing is creating pastiches Mm -hmm. is creating word collages you know the the great examples of these would be t.s Eliot who, you know, in his in his great poem, The Wasteland, he literally put in footnotes because he didn't want to be accused of plagiarism. Mm-hmm. And later he regretted it because it, it kind of fragmented the poem as a whole more than he intended it to. But, you know, you look at someone like W.B. Yeats, and for my money, Yeats is the best of the modern poets. Um, I think not coincidentally, he is 
he figures importantly to Dylan and Dylan's sense of rhyme, including in, in this song. I mean, today and tomorrow and yesterday, too, the flowers are dying like all things do. Follow me close. I'm going to Ballinalee. I'll lose my mind if you don't come with me. Think of, I, I mean, there's an Irish place name, and think of all the characters in Yates, like Crazy Jane and Red Hanrahan, who are touched by genius because they've lost their minds. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, and, and you know, Yates is also a fellow Nobel laureate in literature. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so I think, I think Dylan's own style of writing, his own style of writing lyrics, is born of the fact that he is quite clearly a great and deep reader. Mm-hmm. I have no idea I have no idea what it actually looks like, but I can tell you that I would dearly love someday to be able to work in Bob Dylan's private library. Mm-hmm. I you know, I talk about something that contains multitudes. Right. He, and I and I'm just talking about what we know publicly from the songs that he writes, from the things that he says in interviews, in his Nobel speech. He you know, he knows his Shakespeare inside out. Mm-hmm. Um, after after listening to Murder Most Foul, one of my overwhelming thoughts was, I really wish that I could have seen Dylan in 1966 as that wild young man with the airborne hair and the Cuban boot heels and the dark glasses. I wish I could have seen him play Hamlet on stage. <laughs> he would... Not only do I bet you he knows every single line of the play, but he would have been magnificent as Hamlet. And uh, um, and he could have wore he could have wore one of those great black shirts with the white polka dots. You know, he could have just for <laughs> just for just for a party at court. Well, you know, there was a um, uh, there was a. Uh, you know what I mean? He, oh yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, no. no I, well, was, I, I was my point. My point was simply that he is. Talk about being well-read. Um, right. I, uh, I, I remember chatting once with Phil Lash, um, and Phil quoted from a fairly obscure 19th century poem. And I said, I said, well, score one for you. I said, when did you happen to read that? And Phil just grinned, and he said, you know, you have a lot of time on a tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've, I've never forgotten that. He's, he is someone who, like Dylan, is immensely widely and also deeply read. Um, apart from his Shakespeare, Dylan knows his classics. Obviously, he knows his classical literature well and has talked about characters from classical literature in interviews since the middle 1960s. Um, well, right, and then, you know, he comes from uh, one of the greatest, you know, Dylan's one of the great musicologists uh Ever and you know a lot of his writing, of course, his early stuff comes from the folk tradition and the blues tradition, where a lot of these uh, uh, these lines get passed down in the blues world. They call them traveling lines, and so it's a beautiful mix. Uh, and Margaret Daniel, now tell us about uh, a little bit of this next song. We're going to hear a clip of "Mother of Muses." Well, it's. We were just talking about classical literature a moment ago, and, of course, Richard Thomas at Harvard has done some wonderful work lately on Dylan's classical illusions. Um, there's uh, there's a Scandinavian scholar who has also uh, noted some of these, and Scott Warmuth, who you mentioned before, 
had noted where Dylan talks about, you know, he uses lines from Ovid, and on this record, he in Black Rider, he chooses a very spicy line from Juvenile, and Juvenile's <laughs> 16 Satires. So um, Mother of Muses is, I mean, literally, it's an invocation of the mother of the nine muses, the nine classical muses. Um, her name's Nanasini, and... Uh, these beautiful nine girls she has are the ones who usually get all the attention. They're the ones who, you know, when when Virgil or Homer are saying, hail muse or sing muse, arms in the man I sing, um, when they're invoking the, the muse at the beginning of a long epic poem or a shorter lyric poem, it would be a different muse for a lyric poem, um, the mother is never really so much talked of. And I love it that Dylan loops back to her in in a way, Mother of Muses, Sing for Me. It's it's a classic, classical invocation uh, for a classical poet to be requesting that the muse do the singing for them. Hmm. And yet, look look at the beginning of the poem. It's a directive. Uh, the speaker, I... I I sheer away from calling him Dylan, even though it's easy to do. Dylan has a very strong romantic I in his lyrics, and when he sings I, you want to say, it's Bob Dylan. But of course it isn't. It's it's the, the voice of the speaker, and whoever decides to cover these later will be the one who's, who's also speaking. Um, but Mother of Muses, sing for me, sing of the mountains and the deep dark sea, sing of the lakes and the nymphs of the forest, Sing your hearts out, all you women of the chorus. Don't you love that rhyme of forest and chorus? That's <laughs> the folk tradition right there. Right. Um, but but having invoked the muse, Dylan then tells the muse to sing. You know, here's what I want you to sing. And the song is very much a prescription. This is what I want you to sing. And you realize that it's the speaker who's singing the song, not the mother of muses. <laughs> Until you get to that massive, powerful verse, sing of Sherman, Montgomery, and Scott, and of Zhukov and Patton and the battles they fought, who cleared the path for Presley to sing, who carved the path for Martin Luther King. I mean, that's talk about almost 100 years of American history in a really tight nutshell. Yeah, and, um, and, and to tie sure. in... And, and, and that the, the the allusion to Elvis and Martin Luther King and uh, uh, I thought was phenomenal. We are going to listen to a little bit of Mother of Muses and then be back with one more set with Anne Margaret Daniel. Mother of Muses, sing for me. Sing of the mountains and the deep dark sea. Sing of the lakes and the nymphs of the forest. Sing your hearts out, all you women of the chorus. Sing of honor and faith and glory be. Mother of muses, sing for me. Mother of muses, sing for my heart Sing of a love, too soon to depart 
Sing of the heroes who stood alone Whose names are engraved on tablets of stone Who struggled with pain so the world can go free Mother of muses, sing for me Sing of Sherman, Montgomery and Scott And of Zugov and Patton And the battles they fought Who cleared the path For Presley to sing Who carved the path For Martin Luther King Who did what they did And they went on their way Man, I could tell their stories all day I'm falling in love with Calliope Welcome back to the wall. <laughs> was that fun? That, that was my friend, the Divas, uh, did that for me on the spot. Uh, you listen to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my most intriguing and fun guest, Anne Margaret Daniel, uh, an expert in so many things. We're talking about Bob Dylan now. We just listened to it at the end of the last set, uh, Mother of Muses. And tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit more of that song, and tell us about who's Calliope. Oh, <laughs> Calliope! Uh, Calliope gives her name, interestingly, to you know what people think of when they think of a Calliope. They think of a, a steam-powered musical uh, sideshow attraction at a fair. Mm-hmm. Um, however, initially, Calliope was the muse who is in charge of the sung epic poem. She's she's the she's the powerhouse girl when it comes to the nine muses, and no wonder Dylan says uh, nobody wants her these days. Give her to me because that's the way he writes, and uh-huh. that's the way his music comes out. So, but but Dylan will never use a word that means one thing when he can use a word that means two. Uh-huh. So yes, it means it means this classical muse, but it also means. The, the more contemporary, you know, kind of early 20th century entertainment that you would find in a fairground. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Dylan wants both senses in that song. And I have to say the conclusion of Mother of Muses is that last stanza is one of the most beautiful things he has ever sung. Take me to the river, release your charms. Let me lay down a while in your sweet loving arms. Wake me, shake me, free me from sin, make me invisible like the wind. Hmm. Got a mind to ramble, got a mind to roam. I'm traveling light, and I'm a slow coming home. <laughs> I mean, oh. You, uh, you have a brilliant mind, Anne Margaret Daniel. We've got, uh, we're going to end the set with uh, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, uh, a great blues <laughs> number, and uh, Dylan has turned into uh the blues man that he used to admire when he was in his 20s. He said he always wanted to hold himself uh, 
with the same kind of stature that John Lee Hooker and Lightning Hopkins and Sonny and Brownie used to do. And he, now yep. at uh, 79, man, he's home. He, he's uh, at the top of the mountain. But I want to ask you, Anne, how do you think this 39th record of Bob Dylan's, how do you think, not necessarily rates in terms of his other ones, but how good do you think this one is? I think it's almighty fine. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it is just superb. And I'm not gonna. I, I mean, I love having all of his albums. I don't like ranking them or shaking them right. down Me in neither. terms of a top, a top five or a top ten. But this is a record I'm going to listen to a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got. Uh, that's for me. It's got that same sort of depth and magic and mystery that uh, Blonde on Blonde had. You know, it's not... Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. The other the other great double album, I have to say, in the wake of Rough and Rowdy Ways, the album that I've turned back to and that it's inspired me to go listen to is Highway 61, mm-hmm. Revisited. That, this, this record just somehow feels a lot like that to me. And, of course, 61 Revisited was right in the heart stretch of that that triple barrel of uh, bringing it all back home, Highway 61 Revisited, and Blonde on Blonde, you know, just what what was released in the bootleg series as the cutting edge. Right. And I got to say, Rough and Rowdy Ways feels to me like Dylan at 79 and age is just a number. Right. Um, Dylan at 79 is on another cutting edge. Yeah. These songs are, they're full of fire and sass and they're, they're sexy and they're rowdy. None more so than Goodbye Jimmy Reed. Um, I, I was, I was, uh, given a, a review copy of the album a bit before its release. And I listened to the whole thing all the way through, obviously. I'd already heard the songs that had been pre-released, as had everyone else. But when I got to Jimmy Reed, I just, I stood up and danced. (laughs) You know, you can't not. You can't not. Yes. What a powerhouse of a song. 79 years old. Age is just a three-letter word, right? (laughs) Sure is. So. It sure is. So. And, Margaret Daniel, this has been so phenomenal. We are going to have you on uh, soon, if not if not the following week, if we can hook up our recording schedules. Uh, but where can people follow your writing? Oh, um, that, that's kind of you to ask. I, I have a website. It's just my name, and Margaret Daniel, and it'll, it'll link you up to the, the things that I'm writing these days. I'm currently working on in in all of our mandated uh, extra time during the terrible days of this pandemic and our isolation at home. I've been trying to do as much work as I can that I don't need to go to a library to do uh, because, of course, our libraries are mostly closed still. But I've been working on a collection of essays about Dylan, and I'm also... Uh, editing Zelda Fitzgerald's letters for publication. So you are a busy woman. A lot of time with Bob and Zelda. <laughs> and this has been such an incredible conversation. Uh, you, you are amazing in print. You're uh, 
as amazing, if even, not more so, uh, speaking over the telephone. You have a wonderful Fourth of July weekend. Uh, you have, uh, and give my best to your three puppies and your husband. I look forward to meeting you soon, and I hope your mother comes out uh, strong and healthy and enjoys her 93rd year on Earth. I'm sure she is proud of you. I thank you so kindly, Paul. You have a happy fourth yourself, and I am with you in spirit standing in the middle of the bridge in St. Paul watching the fireworks. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anne. I live on the streets named after a saint. Women in the churches wear powder and paint. Where the Jews and the Catholics and the Muslims are brave. Tell a product from a mile away. Goodbye, Jimmy B. Jimmy B. Indeed. Give me that old time religion. It's just what I need. But thine is the kingdom, the power of the glory. Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell the real story. Straightforward puritanical tone In the mystic hours Where the person's alone Goodbye, Jimmy Reed Godspeed Thump on the Bible I Proclaim a creed Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metzett, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guest, Anne Margaret Daniel. This is part one of what's going to be a two-part episode with Miss Daniel. We're going to dig in a little deeper into Bob Dylan's new masterpiece, Rough and Rowdy Ways. If you would like to support the show and the work I'm doing, go to paulmensa.com. I've got a Venmo account and a PayPal account. I'm working on a Patreon account. And... uh, Help me keep up the great work and keeping these cool guests coming at AM 950. We hope everybody out there is enjoying the summertime. Stay strong and positive. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.